Uh, hello, campaign members. Uh, this is the first recording of me telling you guys about what we've done in this campaign so far. Uh, this is for our newer campaign members and our older campaign members, just for you guys to come back to. Uh, I will also begin recording the sessions on Discord via using the Craig, the recording bot, so that uh, if you all want to come back to any session or anything like that, you can do that. Um, but yeah, so we will start off. Uh, first introductions, uh, you all know me as Jasmine Tarleton from either school or friends knowledge and stuff. Uh, I am the dungeon master of this campaign. I tend, I go by mini during uh, DM or during this campaign. My dungeon master has a little kind of goat form that whenever a character or a person is away or if you need like a little bit of help or like some remembering knowledge my little physical form will come down and like take that character or that person up into the clouds or like tie them up somewhere or let you guys drag them along as Sophia did to force Sam uh, one time and that is simply due to my campaign also running off of if a character or another party member isn't there i can still continue on with the party and the group so yeah and mod who which is the nickname of my uh dm physical form uh is kind of there for if you have any questions or need to remember something about something that's happened in like the that's happened in the campaign that is where you can kind of go and get that information from if mod will allow that or if i will allow that so yeah quest one the world is first introduced by everyone just being flashed in a bright white light. And as you look down, all around you is just white, plain lands of just clouds upon clouds upon white fluffy clouds. You can feel the pressure drop as you realize now that there is nothing supporting you at all. You just drop and drop. The clouds sort of part in a way to make way for your body to just slowly go straight down. You have no other option. As the, pa as the clouds part, you can see a kind of darkish, woodsy terrain. It is very clearly nighttime in this area. There's a lot of odd looking plant life and around you in the sky you can see little kind of glowing white pearlescent jellyfish looking wisps. And 
as you are falling down towards the ever coming ground you can see a lot of dark navy blue that is accented with fluorescent neon blues and purples and greens and just pinks it's kind of like from the avatar the movie uh like that type of terrain now this is where i got the characters who were there which is uh kree also known as Imi or teacup and elma also known as sam or milk guide i got both of them to roll for a successful landing kree being a bird being a hummingbird uh, able to fly and Cree rolled a decent enough number to where when Cree landed they kind of twisted the ankle a little bit but was fine nonetheless. Elma on the other hand rolled not very well. <laughs> he ended up landing through a bunch of trees just crunch crunch just falling smack. His body was bent in ways and positions that a body just shouldn't be bent in. Like it was really, really gross. It was like ankles touching ears, forehead smashed into the ground, like a little crater and shit of everything. And that's just poor Elma, man. Elma cops a lot of it. And as the party members that were there look up around them they can see many weird looking creatures there is a singular creature that is a flesh colored a like pinkish flesh color that consists of only eyes just completely yellow like piss yellow eyes and this bright sunburnt pink flesh of a blob just wriggling its way on by. Around them there's more of those white pearlescent jellyfish wisps. There are other creatures too that some look familiar to what you would recognize as butterflies or regular human earth insects. But the others, they confuse you. They look either like hybrids of other creatures or just messed up. They don't look they don't look right. <laughs> and around them is a lot of again navy blue trees that has a lot of foliage on the ground. The ground is the same color as the trees, but it's easier to differentiate. Dif differentiate between the colors as the trees are darker and have different essence towards them different glowing forms it is quite beautiful the party then was asked where would they like to travel as in which way they wanted to go north south east or, east or west which then Elma replied forwards. Elma replied forwards. This is where Elma died. I'm kidding, Elma didn't die, but I wish. 
Elma didn't die, I really wish, but like, I'm not killing Elma off that quickly. It was a stupid answer. Don't give me answers like that. Your character will die and end up rocks falling, tumbling down. <laughs> um, Cree, being the lovely person that they are, said North. So they began to track North, pushing some odd foliage and plant life out of their way, kind of stepping in places, and they end up stumbling upon this kind of weird-looking terrain. Like, oh, odd-looking Aztec sandy temple that just doesn't look like it's meant to be there at all. And it's not meant to be there. It is completely standing out in what should be a very plant-life natural area. It is very barren and the face shape of it looks to be an actual face upon it. It is built of what seems to be old carved mud and clay and a lot of hard rocks and just very much like the temple from Temple Run, like that front screen of the app in Temple Run. If you don't know what I'm talking about, Google it. The party was then asked if they would like to enter in through the temple's mouth hole or explore around the edges, which they decided to just enter into the little mouth hole and venture inside. The mouth of the now quite long hallway that they have entered seems to be covered in a lot of spider webs. There are some cracks along the walls of the foundation of this now long, like rather long hallway. There are spider webs and just earthly creatures just everywhere. There's some moss and mold, just a lot of dust and dirt just kind of scattered around from obviously this temple being quite old and not being able to live up to probably what it used to look like. This temple is rather barren. There's somehow like no water at all despite there being mold and moss growing. But one thing that there is are lanterns itty bitty lanterns that when the party walks off a tiny unnoticeable edge slash ledge of the inside terrain the pressure of them walking off of that ledge caused the mouth of the temple to slam shut leaving the party into pitch blackness. Incredibly dark. So dark that even if there was the slightest crack, you still wouldn't be able to see a centimeter in front of you. You wouldn't be able to see it. Due to now every light being out, the once unlit lanterns suddenly 
lit up, lighting up in an orange flame that burnt long enough and shared enough light for another lantern to light up along the way, leading down another, uh, leading down the rest of the long hallway. The party member, Elmer, got a little bit panicky, tried to escape. He could not escape. The door was closed. Cree, on the other hand, being a brave little hummingbird, ventured on ahead and brought Elmer with them. The party members continued to walk up until Cree accidentally knocked over a lantern. Their itty bitty wings must have just inched this rusted lantern that was held up by some metal and must have just whipped it with enough wind for it to and crumble straight onto the ground. The sound suddenly lights up this large, large room in front of them. Perpendicular to the party is this large looking dining place. It's quite odd compared to the feeling of what this place should look like. Around in this dining area, in the middle area-ish, you can see some stepping, like little stones, or like a dance floor that's decorated. On the right side, there is some dining tables made of some dark type of wood that seems to be quite chipped away and moldy and just very worn down. Again, on the right side, there is a bar that is, again, made out of wood. There are some wine racks and some old bourbon, em like empty bourbon bottles behind them with a button. Uh, and on the left side, where the dance floor made out of stepping stones and everything is there. There is a little stage with a piano where there once maybe was a band that played there. Looking around the now lit up area, the party could see skeletons, remnants of what people used to be in here old rotting skeletons with scraps of clothing just kind of draped over things or leaning back some you can tell the gender of who used to be in it due to what they were wearing in little slivers near the very far back wall some green sort of mist began to creep its way out, just venturing and reaching its little grasps out as far as it could. And as it did so, when it connected or reached 
different skeletons. The skeletons came to life. The skeletons had a faint, eerie glow around their body that somewhat demonstrated or showed what they used to look like, what the beings who used to live inside that body looked like. An iridescent glow, you can see colours of skin, but it's very pearlescent and transparent with a green tinge to it. The light misty gas reaches the party members, party members, <laughs> giving them a kind of deep-ish lime green type of color. Cree being freaked out by this and not liking the color green, flew smack up to the ceiling and stood there. Elma began panicking, but then I told them the green mist doesn't hurt them, so calm your tits. But the skeletons who have now come to life all kind of spread out. To the right, some skeletons are now sitting at tables, eating what the mist portrays as human food, what seems as actual food, but just in some kind of green, misty, holographic form. There is now a youngish-looking man sitting at the bar, and in front of him is the bartender, who both of them seem to be chatting up a storm and, like, being old pals and just chatting. To the left side, couples have now joined into dancing on the floor and the band has started playing music. Although this music is decent, it is still kind of awful considering that it is just bone upon wire or bone upon keyboards or keys of the piano. It's just a little bit eerie. Elma walked over to the bar and was asking the bartender named Bart about what was going on. Why, what is this place? As Elma was doing that, Cree happened to began playing a song. And Cree is a bard, so naturally has quite proficient musical skills. And leading on with this, Cree began to have a motherfucking rock concert. Cree began ripping into whatever instrument they had, causing the other band to just kind of stop before shrugging and joining along all the skeletons that were once doing the beautiful waltz or some form of jazz dance now started headbanging crowding around this tiny bird that was just strumming like their life depended on it in this 
awesome rock concert. Cut to Elma, chatting with Bart the bartender. He has, he's asking Bart about how do we get out of here? How, how do we escape this place? Which then Bart replies, what are you gonna give me? Like, I can do stuff, but what's you gonna give me? What What's in it for me? Which then Elma is obviously being Elma, saying, you get to be free, you get out. And this conversation continues for a little bit longer until uh, Bart the bartender gives information off that not everyone in here, not all of the ghosts, actually know that they're dead. Bart tends to know a little bit, like he is conscious of the fact that he is dead, but he does not see this Aztec temple. He sees this area as a 1920s bar and that everyone else is as regular as they've been. He sees everything being a normal bar and that Elmo and Creed are the odd ones out. They look really, really strange. And he then pointed out a older looking skeletal body telling Elmer that his best bet of getting out of here is Chappie. Chappie is in the far back right corner in a much older, rustic-looking table. His clothes and his skeleton look much more worn out and just kind of ratty all over, and he just looks like the oldest one there. In doing so, looking over, Cree then joins Elma and walks over to where Chappie is residing. Chappie and them have a chat and begin talking about what is this place. Which then Chappie reveals that there is a totem. The totem of the living. This totem was once brought in by a young man when Chappie used to be a very, very young boy. And by young boy, I mean he was in his early 20s. Young back then. His friend that brought in the Totem of the Living happened to be a little bit odd and was going on about it. And when he brought it in to what used to be when Chappie was alive, a kind of boarding house of some sort, he then was talking to the very distressed person who brought in the totem of the living and the person who was holding the totem of the living dropped it. A massive surge of just green pulsation rushed out. Skin began melting 
and falling off of anyone in the building just ripping off jaws and eyeballs would pop out there was skin just melting everywhere onto the ground and the pain and screaming of everyone in the building could be heard the land around them began to deteriorate along with any living being that was once in there their souls were forever trapped Chappie then let on that he is the oldest one here the other ghosts who are in the 1920s are much younger than him when Chappie was trapped was trapped it was the 1700s when his friend found the totem of the living and when he was trapped in this building. It wasn't until much longer when these now ghosts lived. Hence why it is themed to be a 1920s bar. Chappie then tells a little bit more about everything and tells the party members how the totem of the living can be destroyed. He tells them that the totem can be destroyed with salt, either with some mice or mouse, niece, whatever the fuck you want to call it, or an extensive amount of heat or cold weather. Now, it is not really specified by Chappie whether or not it has to be by hands of a mage to create certain things or why these certain things can destroy it he doesn't really know either he just knows it Chappie then remembers that there is a certain pressure plate on the dance floor that when stepped on a large opening appears only once in a while where it will lead to different places the party members search out for this pressure plate and manage to find it the opening in the wall managed to and crumble down the party members walk into the hallway with the door slamming shut behind them as they walk up, they now have a perpendicular little pathways that they can go down. At first, there are doors. Sorry, sorry, I just remembered. They weren't doors. It was keys and a keyhole. There was no doors, but on the keys... There were numbers from 1 to 5 and on the keyholes there were numbers from 1 to 5. The party members had to correspond the matching numbers to the matching keyhole numbers which then as they unlocked each of the little keyholes a small gap 
opened, large enough for Cree and Elma to get through. And as they walked on, there was a few more other tasks, ta- tasks and little tricks that they had to do until they came across a kind of ratted looking skeleton of a man who looked more alive than the others. He was pacing back and forth, shaking, biting on his nails, just looking like he was having withdrawal symptoms. He seemed the most alive out of all of the other ghosts there. And because of that, the party members now saw that this must be the person who set out the totem of the living. The then person who was pacing back and forth kind of freaked out, looked up and spotted Elma and reached up and kind of warily reached out and grabbed Elma by the arm. He then let go with a little ah! before saying, you're real, you're real. You, you, you're not made up in my head. You're, you're, you're real. And that proceeded for a little while longer until the party members snapped him out of it and then asked him if he knew where the totem of the living was, which she then replied, yes, I do know where it is. Uh, I won't be able to take you to it, but I know someone who will. The person then raced over to the very left wall and began scratching on the wall and putting his ear straight out the wall. For a moment, there was nothing. And then suddenly there was a scratching back. The man began to cackle very kind of wheezy-like and scratched back at the wall. The scratching continued back and forth for a while and then eventually he stood up and went back and said, my friend Jeremy's coming. And then suddenly, the wall crumbles down. A million rats fall out of the wall and thudding, heavy steps appears out of the now crumbled floor. A large, nine foot two-ish sized rat on much steroids, standing on two legs, beefy, strong, like stronger than Dwayne Johnson the Rock, just steroids. That's the one word you'd think if you saw him. Steroids. He then looks up to the man who was scratching against the wall. Bro! 
and gives a good old bro chad hug to the dude (laughs) the party members now learn that this massive beast of a steroided rat is jeremy and all of the millions of rats that came out underneath and came out through the massive hole that jeremy ripped open are his children and according to jeremy his children are disrespectful elmer offers jeremy some kind words and jeremy lets out the fact that he is afraid of the dark and he is very very terrified of it and just wants someone to hold his hand and wade through the darkness with him he then agrees to take the party members to the totem of the living elmer then also agrees i'll hold your hand into the darkness which then jeremy shed a manly manly tear down his cheek you will elmer then replied yeah they linked hands cree flying behind them staying a very far distance away from any of the rats because cree doesn't like rats and they begin walking down this very large hallway and then reaching upon another medium-sized room that has kind of like a little chair and Cree thinks in their head what an ugly chair like this chair is like the worst thing ever there's somehow only like three legs and a little hanging piece of the fourth it's really rusty and just the shittiest chair that's ever been made and silently you can hear jeremy kind of sniffling the best chair i've ever made (laughs) and began crying as the party walked up the little totem of the living is seated on the chair there's a bit of scrap fabric wrapped around it like there's some toy horses and everything and jeremy whispers under his breath to the party members i tried telling my kids to stop playing with it but there's so many of them i didn't didn't know which ones did it (laughs) which then the party members aka elma reassured him and then jeremy cracked his knuckles and said all right stand back party members stand back a little bit from jeremy as jeremy cracks open a can of salt not a jar a can of salt like a soda can just straight up chucks back the salt glug 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 drinks all the salt somehow he then approaches up towards the totem of the dead not dead the living and starts rubbing his hands together creating heat 
and with the texture and the sound of his hands, steam and smoke starts coming off of it as he heats it up. He grabs the totem of the living with one hand and squeezes it. The totem of the living can see its face shift and a little before the head of the totem of the living drops and rolls under the floor. The totem of the living is now destroyed. It was that easy. The now unalive totem of the living is completely useless and as Jeremy is saying his sweet goodbyes, Cree just kind of stands back. Cree doesn't want anything to do with Jeremy the steroid rat. And Jeremy approaches Elma and just thanks Elma out of everything and kind of grasps Elma's hips, hips into like a loving embrace and just kind of wraps his muscly arms around Elma and takes a deep inhale of Elma's scent and just kind of kisses Elma's head lets a tear shed down his face and kind of leans in for a kiss on the lips but then stops and kind of, you can see on his face, confliction of, I shouldn't be doing this. My 17 wives will be jealous. And just doesn't do it. He doesn't make the move. Elma, on the other hand, is incredibly unnerved by this. Elma does not want it. Elma did not give consent. Elma does not like this. Elma is, mm-mm. Elma said, no, you ain't want this. And Jeremy then turned, busted down a wall, leading to the outside, and left. The very large shaping of what Jeremy was is still there and his bajillion children's running after him and probably some of his wives too it's kind of hard to tell the party members turn and walk out the way that they came and when they reach where once the dining area was all of the ghosts had lined up and some of them have slowly begun to fade away and the bones of their body like the remnants of that body is falling off into dust and at the very front of this long line is Bart the bartender and Chappie they have the most relieved and thankful look on their face Chappie walks up holding this brownish leathered little parcel and hands it off to Elma.
He grasps Alma's hand, shakes it, and gives a very thankful look before walking back, grabbing Bart the bartender's hand and fading away into dust. The party members now walking outside of the temple. As they get a fair distance away, the temple behind them crushes and trembles down and down and just breaks completely. Around them, the large cackling whispered sound of someone laughing is heard before silence and a few little rumbles here and there of the shifting stones and bricks of the now destroyed temple. The party then opens up the little leathered satchel that Chappie gave them. Inside this leather wrap is a mirror shard, but the mirror doesn't show a reflection. It shows a tall, blonde, ethereal-looking man standing with his back turned to them, holding a book in what seems to be a large library that seems to have books of endless and endless pages, gold-looking lining of the shelves and the floor looking pristine. The tall, blonde's long, pointed ears twitch slightly as if he hears something. He slowly turns around, snapping his book shut and looks straight at Elmo and Cree. He lifts one of his long, ethereal, pale arms delicately, and he waves two of his fingers to the side. He then puts down his book along with his arm and slowly begins to walk up towards the mirror before he is stopped by a short, stout woman hurling in front of him and kind of shoves him a little bit out of the way. He kind of looks down at her and gives a small little chuckle or smile, shaking his head before continuing his somewhat stalking kind of walk towards the party. The short stout woman is now seen just a little bit out of frame. She's kind of on her tiptoes it seems as if trying to look up and when she does she makes a face that if you could hear her it would be And as the short stout woman points at the party members through the mirror and looks back up at the tall blonde man, 
He nods his head. She brings her hand up to her mouth, cupping it in a gasping position. And that is where I ended the campaign.